Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, we enter today into the second week of our Advent season. And as you heard uh, Scott and Nikki share with us and read, today we're focusing and looking at the the Advent theme of peace. And uh, this is a really important one for us uh, as, we, as we continue on toward Christmas. One of the things I had mentioned last week is that as we move closer and closer to Christmas, we're going to hear more and more, more and more about the person of Jesus coming into the world. And we started the new church calendar last week, the year, if you remember that, we started that last week, which starts celebrating the brand new life, the birth of baby Jesus. And I love that the new year starts with new life, focusing on the baby Jesus. You know, one of the best parts, if you've been a parent, uh, one of the best parts about having a new baby is the process of naming that baby. That's been, I don't know if that was a, how that went for you all uh, with your children, but names are so interesting, aren't they? Uh, often names can have special meaning for us. Maybe they carry some family heritage for us, or maybe we just name our children names that we like and think are, sound really great. Christina and I had uh, trouble naming our kids uh, for our first two. We didn't really agree on uh, names, uh, especially for our first two, but especially around boy names. We didn't know if, you know, when you don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, you you start to think and you start to process. And Christina and I did not agree so much on uh, on especially boy names. Uh, And we actually changed Addison's name kind of last minute. Uh, But I wanted to have a name for our kids once we knew we were having a kid. And once we knew if it was a boy or a girl, I wanted to have a name to call our children. I didn't want to just call it it or the baby, right? So (laughs) Christina was fine waiting. I was not. Had to have a name. Uh, So, but there are a lot of different reasons for the names that we might choose. For example, my twin sister Sarah is named after her great-grandmother, who was named after her great-grandmother, right? So I think that's kind of fun and pretty cool. And then there's my name, and I know I've joked with you all before, but my name, Kyle, means handsome, and boy, they got that one right. (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Another reason that they liked the name Kyle was because it was a name that couldn't be nicknamed. My folks didn't want names that could be nicknamed, so that was one of their reasons. Okay, mom and dad, you do you. Uh, But whatever you name your kids, one of the things that you hope is that as you name your child, you think, you you hold in your heart all your hopes and dreams for who this person will become, right? And maybe that's worked into the naming of that person or not. But as we turn to scripture, one of my favorite Advent passages comes from Isaiah chapter 9, where we get a list of names for the coming Messiah. And... uh, I'm like, okay, great, cool, God. Maybe you couldn't decide about a name either. So I got you. I see what you're doing. Uh, But all joking aside, there's a difference between the names that God gives the coming Messiah and us in our whole process of naming our children. You see, the difference is that God uh, doesn't just hope one day that these, uh, that, that the Messiah will be marked by these names or these characteristics that we find in Isaiah 9. These names prophesied over the Messiah is who he will be. And I love that. This names, this list of names tells us something about the character and nature of Jesus. 
There's also something that's really cool about this list of names that we're going to look at. Uh, It tells us something about our needs as well. There's this amazing alignment between uh, the needs of humanity and who Jesus is promised to be. I think there's a thread of hope in, in that, like we can't understand, that God, through who his character and nature, is going to address some of the most significant needs that creation will ever have. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> the characteristics of our Savior will meet our greatest needs. Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 6. The, prof, uh, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who lend, live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice because you, uh, as people rejoice, uh, they will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery, and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, blood-stained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. We know that scripture and we love that scripture, don't we? It's one we're very familiar with. It's an incredible list of names. Now a lot can be said about each one of these characteristics, these names. There's significant contextual and theological meaning behind each of these. They're not just names, but like I said, they tell us about the character and nature of the Messiah, of who God, who Jesus will be. Let's take just one for example, Wonderful Counselor. Have you ever come up against a situation uh, where you don't know what to do next? Maybe you've been overwhelmed by a situation that you're facing, that there's no easy way forward, there's a lot of fear, and you can't see your way forward. Have you ever been in a situation like that in your life? I think all of us have. In, in those circumstances, sometimes it's really good to seek out some wise counsel, right? Right? Someone who has gone through a similar situation or maybe a professional who's trained to help you wade through all that you're thinking and feeling and figure out a way forward. Maybe you're the person that people seek when they're struggling and they need someone to talk to. I've been in lots of situations where uh, I am able to, whether through training or experience, help people Uh, offer wisdom that I have, or maybe simply just be a springboard for conversation and help kind of people figure out on their own. I've also been in plenty of situations where I find myself in prayer asking for God's wisdom to be clear and evident and leading the way forward. And we know that the counsel and wisdom of God is what we truly need, and it's better than anything humanity can offer, right? (laughs) The things that Jesus has to teach us are wonderful, practical, helpful, and good. We recognize that we might not have the wisdom that's needed for a particular situation, but we trust and have faith that Jesus does. And when we encounter that wisdom, when we encounter what the leading of God, it always is better than we expect. So like I said, a lot could be said about each of these names that are given to Jesus, uh, but I'd like for us, to, for the next few moments, just to focus on the last name in the list, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. This last name on the list is 
so jam-packed with meaning, and it's certainly probably, well, certainly probably, it's probably the most recognizable uh, of the list of names, especially in Christmas time. We actually sing a lot of songs about the idea of peace during Advent and Christmas. Our songs uh, span the gamut, right? We sing something like Silent Night, which is characterized by this kind of ethereal and heavenly peace to something like, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, there is no peace on earth, they say, right? So the idea of the Prince of Peace, and when we talk about peace in Advent, we're kind of holding this tension that Jesus, the Messiah, is the Prince of Peace, and yet in a lot of ways, we don't experience peace in our world, especially, I mean, I think that's been very clear for us these last couple of years. One of my favorite bands is a band called U2. Uh, I think many of you know you too, but they actually have a song called Peace on Earth where they highlight this tension. Some of the lyrics go like this. Jesus, could you make the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on Earth. Uh, Tell the ones who hear no sounds whose sons are living in the ground. Peace on Earth. Heavy. We hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history just won't rhyme. Peace on Earth. Wow, (laughs) what a reflection on the tension that I think we all feel. And part of why it's so important for us to recognize the idea of Jesus being the Prince of Peace and what that means for us. So let's ask that question. What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace and how does that work in our lives and in our world? Because it's very important and really vital for us these days. Well, I think we first need to understand the concept of peace a little bit better, at least how the Bible understands the idea of peace. So what is peace? Is peace just no more war? Is it the absence of any kind of conflict? What is God's idea of peace? So what I'm going to share with you, I'm going to share with you the biblical understanding and idea of peace. You're going to recognize this because we've talked about it, I think, at least a couple of times uh, in previous messages, at least uh, my messages here. And I'm sure you've addressed this before that as well. Uh, but this is such a, it'll be such a good reminder for us. And I, and I hope that as we reflect on this, it can stir some, some hope, stir some excitement and stir the desire to want to move toward this understanding that we can actually participate in this Uh, so this is going to be a reminder uh, theologically and a call to action in our lives at least the things that we have control over so the hebrew word for peace is rather a well-known word it's it's fairly famous we find it in many places throughout the scripture the biblical word for peace is the word shalom Uh, and maybe you already knew that was coming But shalom is not just a word, it's a concept. It's a a large concept. It's beautiful and it means more than just the ceasing of hostilities between one another. Though that's part of the meaning. The biblical concept of shalom takes a holistic approach to life and society. That's where the idea is pretty large because it applies to us as individuals. But it also applies to our societies no matter what time... Uh, that happens, right? So what, what I mean is that if you are wishing shalom uh, or peace for someone else, what you're hoping for in that person's life is for them to experience whole, wholeness, completeness, as it was intended to be. In shalom, there's a desire that says, I wish for you, I want for you to be made right and complete in all areas of your life. Not just physical, but spiritual, mental, emotional, psychological, relational, and on. 
That's a pretty large, uh, significant kind of idea. I'm wishing the best for you. What, I, I want what's lost to be saved. I, want, I, want, I truly want what's best for you in all aspects of your life. I want you to experience life as God imagined it and planned it for you. Woo! That's incredible, right? But we know from the very beginning of the story, things broke down quick, right? A couple of chapters into Genesis, and humanity's in a downward spiral of sin and walking away from God. So there's a lot of work that, obviously, that has bred a lot of the opposite of peace. <laughs> and so there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And so part of what the Part of what the uh, prophet is saying is recognizing this is broken. This is not working. We need a Messiah, a Savior, who brings back the idea of shalom. It's powerful to be sure. And it gets really good. This is not just something that applies to us as individuals through God's help. We, will, we learn through scripture, and we'll look at it in a minute, that the only way that this is possible is through God's help. But this applies to societies as well, to communities. And that's where the idea of shalom is we struggle with because how is that even possible? It is possible through the power of God. And that's where we are hopeless, uh, we're hopelessly optimistic. We're continuing, we're always opti- theologically optimistic in what God can do for his plan for rescuing us and humanity. So we've used these examples before, but shalom is like a brick that has no cracks or a wall that has no missing pieces. It's whole, complete. It's lacking nothing. It is as it should be. It's all as God planned it to be. All of these ideas are part of the larger idea, the larger umbrella of shalom. And this is the word that's used here in reference to the primary role of the coming Messiah. He will be the agent and the ruler of that process. The coming Messiah will be the one who represents and embodies God's attempt at seeing shalom become a reality, again, in the created order and for each of us, for each person and our society. And Jesus, who he both leads the way and is God's archetype for this audacious plan of peace. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful in so many ways for Jesus, especially as it connects to these major ideas of the Old Testament and God's plan for each of us. And wow, do we need this kind of shalom in uh, our world today. And scripture is telling us that this is God's intended plan for the world. This is how he wants it, and this is what he's working toward. Wow. And it starts with you and at me, because in Jesus, we are remade. We know this, right? We, many of us are new creatures. Our old life is gone. Our new, we have adopted a new life. We are technically in and through faith in Jesus, people of peace. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? A person of peace? There's a lot of really cool examples in scripture of what a person of peace is and does for the kingdom of God. But as we put our faith in Jesus, as we are being remade, you and I get to experience the shalom that God intended for us. And then we get to help in being agents of peace in our world. And I think that's a really important way to think about ourselves because we don't often think about that. We see the brokenness of our society as something that we cannot overcome. But if you think about the brokenness of your life and what Jesus has done, at one point maybe you thought about the brokenness of your life as something that could not be overcome and in steps Jesus. (laughs) 
powerful. If he can do that for you and me, he can do that for anyone and he can do that in our world. We have experienced some of this plan and now being people of peace can work with God towards seeing shalom realized in our societies. What a job and what a privilege. It's a, it's a grand plan that seems impossible but it can be accomplished only through the power of God. In fact, one of the things I remember talking about this passage really early on, uh, I think almost a couple of years ago at the beginning of our, uh, I think it was the second or third week of when we had to go online through the pandemic. We talked about the idea of peace from John chapter 14 because in Jesus, Jesus says this incredible thing about the peace that he brings in the Gospels, in John 14, verse 27, before he's crucified, he's saying, he's sharing to a bunch of his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Scott and Nikki just read that earlier. I do not give uh, to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Again, there's that do not be afraid thing, which is common in the story of Advent, right? Don't be afraid, everyone. I know what's happening is kind of crazy and you can't even imagine it, but God's got a pretty significant plan. Don't be afraid. Trust in the Lord. So uh, Jesus here in the midst of a very difficult situation, the disciples are afraid. Jesus is about to be head off to the cross and he says this? (laughs) What? How can you say that, Jesus? But Jesus understands something about this shalom, this peace that that we don't necessarily. In fact, this this, uh, peace be with you was a common greeting in the ancient culture, both as a, as a greeting and uh, a statement when you're leaving, uh, I give you peace. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, my peace I'm leaving with you, my peace I give you, but I don't give to you as everybody else. Essentially what he's saying is, I'm not just saying it as a, a greeting that means nothing. I'm telling you something much, much deeper. I'm giving you shalom in the midst of this difficult situation that you don't understand, that's fearful, and as I head to the cross, you need to understand that what I'm doing is to put right everything that's supposed to be put right. My peace is more than a greeting. It comes from me, and it is greater than anything this world has to offer, and he heads to the cross. It all starts with Jesus on Christmas Scripture is clear. Shalom obviously can't be of our making and we need help. And thankfully, we see that at the beginning with the baby in the manger on Christmas Day. Thank you, Jesus. Are you feeling a little more hope-filled? Even though it's a challenge and sometimes we don't know what to do, our faith is saying this is a process that God is working on and we get to see how it goes. We get to be part of that. Oh. I'm so thankful for that. So what can we do on a practical level to contribute to peace on earth, to cooperate with God and his kingdom? I want to highlight uh, two kind of similar practices. In fact, one leads to the other. And actually, in just a moment, uh, we did this a couple of weeks ago, and it was really fun. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Holly to come back up, and we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to have a conversation in just a moment. We're going to have a conversation again about some practical, a practical exercise that we can help, uh, that hopefully can help us uh, participate in this process of peace. So the first thing, how do we participate? How do we uh, cooperate with God uh, trying to be peacemaking people? Well, first, we need to reflect and confess. Uh, These are spiritual formation practices that help us deepen our relationship with God 
and help us uh, give God opportunity to do some work in our heart and mind. Did you know that historically, Advent has um, always been a time of reflection and confession and lament? A lot like the season of Lent. I don't know, don't know if you know much about the season of Lent, but Advent, as we wait and prepare for the coming of Christ, has always been a time of deep inward reflection to say, God, where am I not following your ways? We rarely stop to think about the story of Israel leading up to Jesus' birth. We usually just focus on Mary and Joseph and Jesus himself, but Israel was a people who were torn from their homeland just before this, right? Exiled to Babylon's part of their story. They were a people who endured persecution um, and it was still the case as the world prepared to receive Jesus. Uh, Judea was a backwater province controlled by the oppressive Roman government. Uh, and there was a people who felt powerless and who had not experienced peace. They were a people who knew lament and suffering. They were a people in need of a Messiah and crying out for some help. As I reread these stories each week here, I find myself reflecting on the increasing level of chaos and brokenness and disunity in our world. People are at each other's throats, it seems, and the temperature is rising. <laughs> at least that's what it feels like. And I find myself reflecting and asking, where have I contributed to the lack of peace in our world today? It's a hard question to ask because I think for a lot of us, we don't necessarily see ourselves as participating in the brokenness. But maybe the, 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 the reflective part of this is to ask, have I? And if I have, where have I done that? And if I have, God, I need your help. There's a great story about a fisherman uh, walking near the shore of an ocean and he looks out into the water and he sees a group of swimmers swimming and enjoying the water, having fun, but he also sees something else a dark shadow just beneath the surface and, surface. and he, he takes action. He yells quickly for the swimmers to get out of the water. Thankfully, they heed his call and they all rush out of the water. And uh, one of the swim as the swimmers run to the shore, one person asked the fisherman, hey, why did you yell? And he pointed to the dark shadow and he said, because you're swimming with a shark. <laughs> so what's the moral of the story on that? Well, the moral of the story is what lies beneath the surface really matters and sometimes we can't see it, <laughs> Right? Sometimes uh, it's, it's possible that we still have work to do to realize God's shalom in our own hearts and minds and lives um, as we attempt to try to cooperate with him. What's under the surface matters. So ask yourself questions such as, have I wished ill on someone recently? Recognizing that there is so much hatred and, and injustice, divides of all kinds, economic tension, political in, infighting in our world. Does any of that exist in my heart? Is there anything in me that does not wish shalom for those people around me? If so, we need to take some time to reflect and confess and ask God for help. Because Christ's coming in a few weeks means ultimate freedom and peace for anyone who's willing to put their faith in Jesus. When we do this kind of reflection, uh, come on up, Pastor Holly. When we do this kind of reflection, uh, we actually, and confess it to the Lord, we give it to the Lord in prayer, we actually experience growing peace in our heart and mind. Hopefully, you've had that kind of a, of reality, maybe in other areas. So I want to encourage you, do this. This is such good practice. So Pastor Holly and I, we're going to talk about this um, briefly. We're just going to reflect on this. And then I want to, we're going to highlight one more practice uh, that has a few just examples that we can, we can use. Let me grab my chair.
Hi, Pastor Holly. Hi. How are oh. you? Hi. That's better, right? Yeah, I'm good. Better. I'm good. So, Pastor Holly, as we think about this first one, reflect yeah. and confess, uh, yeah. what can be difficult about reflecting and confessing? <laughs> Well, Didn't two things <laughs> two things are difficult about reflecting and confessing. The first is reflecting. Yeah. <laughs> and the second, second is, is confessing. confessing. Yeah. yeah. See, we got it. Yeah. Huh? Um, good. <laughs> I, I mean, reflecting takes time. Yeah. Right? So that's the hard part for me is setting aside this time. Um, really, in, the, in a way, I think we set aside time and that's what that we're, we're making it holy in that way. Right? We're setting it apart. For, uh, for, for time with God or to worship God, and reflecting on uh, our, uh, as you said, our participation in the brokenness. I love that. Yeah. Um, I don't like to think of myself as participating in the brokenness of the world, right? I like to think right. of myself as being outside of that and observing, yeah. but not participating. Right. But, ah, oh, the way you said that, I... We do participate, yes, don't we, we in do. our thoughts and our actions and our words. And so to, to set aside, to set apart the time to reflect on that is, yes. is challenging, both because I don't like thinking about myself in that way, yeah. but also because things are busy, right? And time fills up very quickly um, and controls us if we don't, right. if we're not proactive in controlling it. I think another thing about reflecting uh, and confessing is just like that example we used, sometimes we need some outside help yeah. to help us get some clarity. Uh, and I think it depends on the kind of person that you might be, the kind of way that you work. Maybe you're really good at identifying those aspects of you without that kind of uh, that kind of you know maybe conversation or something. Yeah. If you can be really honest about yourself, that's really good. But sometimes we need, and this is hard, right? If you go to a really your spouse or a really good friend and say, "What do you see in me that needs some, some addressing?" Yeah. Uh, it's a really scary question to really hear. To be on question. the receiving end, yeah, to be yeah. like, if <laughs> somebody asks me what needs to be addressed yeah. in my life, I don't. I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. But yeah, but in a trusting relationship, that's key. That's important, yeah. right? So, and, and this just goes right along with our discipleship pathway of connecting yeah. with others and that's building right. those relationships. Yeah. And then confession. I mean, verbalizing something that needs to, to be worked on yeah. makes it more real. And so mm -hmm. that's a great practice rather than just to keep it in your heart and mind and say, I know I need to do that. And then you just kind of put it off. Yeah. But to verbalize it and say, hey, I, like to someone, a trusted friend, your spouse, whoever, yeah. I am dealing with this and I need some help. Saying it makes it real and that person can help keep you accountable. Yes, confessing to other people and also to God. And that can take the yeah. place of, uh, sometimes in that prayer of confession to God, sometimes I'll write it down, yeah. uh, like in a prayer journal. And that is helpful for me because it gives helpful. me something to look back on. Yeah. yeah. So the next practice that we want to kind of highlight. So the first kind of, um, the first thing, obviously, is we want to participate with God and being peacemakers in the mm -hmm. world, and uh, we want to reflect and confess. The second thing is that we want to use this practice. We're going to call it, we're calling it the decrease and increase kind of practice, mm -hmm. and so this is a, another exercise that can help, par, uh, help us participate in activities that will increase our experience of God's shalom. We've talked about that, and in our lives, and create even that shalom in, in the lives of people around us. So mm -hmm. what we need to do is decrease uh, what so we need to decrease certain things and increase certain things to really kind of see. So this is kind of this practice. Think yeah. about what can I decrease and what can I increase. So we're going to give you some examples. Uh, we're decreasing what can be habitually destructive in our life so that we can uh, increase new life-giving 
power of Jesus and experience this peace. So these are just some examples. You can come up with your own or, you know, whatever you need. But we thought the first thing is to decrease these kinds of things. Decrease what might be greedy in my life. There's a lot of greed in this time and season. Mm -hmm. And I know some of you are like, I'm not very greedy. Okay, great. Uh, But is there aspects of your life where maybe you this is part of that reflection and confession. One leads to the other. Right. And increase life-giving opportunities to share with others. This is a great season for this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, there are opportunities everywhere. And this is a, this is a time of, of some active resistance for us because in our culture, uh, around this season, around the holidays, consumerism is just at this tremendous yeah. peak, right? Yes. And, and, uh, and, and we're receiving all of these advertisements constantly and this pressure to buy and this pressure to do and this pressure to consume as if that was what makes Christmas Christmas, right? right? And we get to be active participants in resisting that and saying, no, we are not going to be um, just these these greedy consumers, but we are going to be generous and show the love of Jesus proactively. That you just that leads us really well into our next one, which is we want to decrease what is fearful and defensive Mm -hmm. in our life and increase opportunities for compassion and generosity. I love uh, expressing compassion to people uh, during this season. There's a lot of people in a lot of need, and so to be able to do that, but decreasing what is fearful and defensive is a, a necessary first step to that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, defensive. <laughs> it's easy to be defensive right now with, yeah. uh, with, with the division yeah. in our world. And to just release that posture is really key really here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, we're going to move through these fairly quickly because we're, we're running out mm-hmm. of time. But we want to decrease what is fraudulent and fake uh, and increase truth-telling in our life. And so this is kind of a hard one as well. We're in the, a cultural moment where the yeah. conversation around what is fake and what is truth is, is difficult to wade through. Yeah. Um, and so we're just going to continue to point ourselves back to Scripture, back to Jesus, back, with, back to what the Word says. Mm-hmm. And this uh, relentless reflection on what am I, how am I thinking, and, and where's, what, what, is, what is the truth of God, where is that leading me? Yeah. And so this is a really important one. So to decrease, to do that work, this is a hard one. What, is, what might be fake or fraudulent in my life? And this could cover any kind of areas of life. Um, and increase truth-telling in your life. So there's lots of different ways to do that. But yeah. yeah. The last one is we want to decrease what is hateful and alienating, what is kind of, uh, you know, creates disunity in our life yeah. with other people and increase reconciliation and forgiveness. That is the healing of relationships and offering forgiveness uh, to people. That's going to mean not... Um, not taking the opportunity to get that last zinger in, yeah. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it means just letting that go and, yeah. and using our words, as we talked about yes. just a few weeks ago, for healing and for mm-hmm. reconciliation and, and for, uh, for good. Yeah. yeah. So this is just a kind of a fun exercise, ways to think about doing these things that, might, that could help increase your experience of God's shalom and then help us participate in that process as yeah. well. Thanks, Pastor Holly. That was like super quick, but that was awesome. Worship team, would you come on back up? We're going to end our time together as we think about these things. We're going to end our time together uh, just singing a couple more songs. But I want to just, again, focus us on this passage here, uh, which has been our focus for today. Isaiah 9, 5 and 6. For unto us a child is born. So a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And I'm so glad we've had the opportunity to talk this morning about what that Prince of Peace 
means and the idea of shalom. Uh, it's a time of reflection, confession, practicing trust in God's spirit to do this deep and meaningful work in our hearts. It's hard work and it requires God's abundant grace, but he thankfully offers us grace upon grace upon grace as he works toward the idea of shalom in our hearts and in our world. Amen. Let's pray. Will you stand?